Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. It wouldn't take too much thinking for us to come up with stories in the Bible where the people in the stories are facing the absolute worst of circumstances, and then we find out that these terrible circumstances are the means by which God has decided to accomplish his purposes. I'm sure you have some that have come to mind, but we aren't exactly the blurred out answers kind of church, so I'm going to spare you the awkwardness of having to do that, and I'll make some suggestions on what I think you're probably thinking. That's not like a fair deal. One of the big ones that most assuredly comes to mind would be David facing Goliath. I mean, if you were gambling on that fight, we all know who we would have put our money on. We also would have probably assumed that the armies of Pharaoh were going to crush the people of God on the shores of the Red Sea. Who would have expected that the walls of Jericho were going to simply fall down by walking around it as God commanded, and then blowing some trumpets? In that same vein... You wouldn't have thought that Gideon and his small band of men would have been able to overcome their enemies. You also would not have expected to open the hatch to the lion's den the next morning and find anything other than the bones of Daniel completely cleaned off by the hungry lions. And you would not have expected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to walk away from that fiery furnace. And another big story that comes to mind for me is Jonah, who was as good as dead in the belly of the great fish. Now, most of us probably recall these stories of God being at work in the most unlikely circumstances, not from our perusal of Scripture as adults, but from learning these stories all the way back in Sunday school. These these types of stories are at the top of the list because they are amazing And it shows us how God shows his love and his sovereign power and his mercy to his people. And as we think about stories like this, one one that would probably be at the top of the list of God being at work in the most unlikely of circumstances would be what we've read from Genesis this morning. We've been following Joseph, and unlike what we expect from a main character, the story of Joseph has actually been a story of descent so far, hasn't it? Not one of ascent. We expect a main character, we expect their life to get better, but Joseph's has been a life that is on a decline. He was seen as the prince of the family by his father. He starts out at the top of this powerful little clan of people, but then he's thrown in a pit by his brothers, and then he's sold into slavery. Things keep getting worse. And even though he has an ascent to a position of influence as a slave in the house of Potiphar, that still isn't enough difficulty for his life, I guess. And so the wicked scheming of Potiphar's wife lands our hero in prison, and it seems as though nothing is ever going to go well for Joseph ever again. He has used up all of his good fortune that he's going to have in life, so it seems, on being daddy's little favorite and getting himself a fancy robe of many colors. But when we left off with Joseph last week, 
we heard of hope in the story. God was with Joseph, even in prison. And he had risen to a position of leadership in the prison. But it's still prison, right? I mean, what good could possibly come to Joseph there? He's at the top of the prison, but that's still far from being in a place where he can make a difference for God, right? Well, God is at work, even in this prison. And so let's line out our three points today and embark on this amazing story of how God is at work in the life of Joseph. The first thing that we will see today is that God's plan is moving slowly. We've seen that God is at work in the life of Joseph. We get the sense in the story that God is doing something, but we do not see God immediately righting the wrong that has come upon Joseph because of this deception by Potiphar's wife. Instead, Joseph is forced to endure the hardships of prison and make the best of where the situation he finds himself in. He's making the best of it. Second, we find that God, once again, is using dreams in the life of Joseph. There's there's something interesting going on in this situation, though. It's not Joseph that is receiving the dreams and sharing them with people. Previously, it was Joseph with the dreams about his brothers and his father and his mother bowing down before him, and his family had to do the interpreting, and it was offensive to them. But this time, it isn't one of the people of God who are receiving dreams. It's these Egyptian servants occupying the prison with Joseph. And we see that God has divinely blessed Joseph with the ability to interpret these dreams. And finally, we observe that not only is Joseph able to interpret the dreams, but his interpretations are accurate. The feeling in Genesis is continuing this idea that Joseph is divinely blessed, that God is with him. And we find that while God has his hand of blessing on Joseph and the Almighty has not forgotten him, people continue to fail Joseph. As time continues to pass for this once favored and blessed person who is following God, he is stuck in prison despite his faithfulness. So let's kick things off as we land in the beginning verses of our passage today and look at verses 1 through 4. Now, in my opening, I talked about the idea that God is at work, and we have seen this in the story of Joseph. And every time I spin this story, pretty positively, because we know where the story is headed, because most of us remember this story from the cool flannel graphs we had when we were in Sunday school. You, you, kids, don't, you kids don't know what you're missing out on with your movies and your PowerPoint presentations. We used to have these really cool felt boards with cutouts of Bible characters, and we caught, thought it was cooler than anything ever, am I right? I mean, how neat was that? But anyway, I've been spinning the drama and tension in the extended narrative about Joseph in a pretty positive manner. But as we start out here in Genesis 40, my, my positive spin gets a pretty unsettling slap in the face, so to speak. God's on the move in the life of Joseph, but it isn't happening quickly. He's been treated unjustly, and he's in prison for something he didn't do. You would think that if God really has his divine hand upon Joseph, there would be a quick reversal of fortune, and Joseph would be getting on with his life and be the biblical hero that we expect him to be. But Moses really wants us to understand that Joseph is in prison for a while. 
Verse 1 tells us right off that our story has jumped ahead. The events we are looking at today are happening sometime after the soap opera level scheming of Potiphar's wife. From what we know here in Genesis 37, Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. And in the next chapter, we find out that he is 30 when he's released. Now, we don't know how much of that was time in Potiphar's household as a slave and, and how much of it was in prison, but the implication in the way Moses is giving us the biography of Joseph leads us to imply that the balance of this time was likely spent as a prisoner. Think about how Joseph must have felt about this. He had had those dreams of his brothers and parents bowing down before him, and now he's in prison. Now, several of you have been on the inside of the prison with us for church at Cornerstone in Sioux Falls, and it's a humbling thing to go in there, isn't it? And to have those bars go shut behind you as you walk in. I mean, the eminent philosopher Barney Fife wasn't lying when he said it's definitely no fun when those iron doors clang shut. You can feel it. Even as a guest, even as someone who goes in knowing you're going to leave, you feel that anxiety of being locked in and you can't get out on your own. Even though we know that we're going to walk down the stairs from the chapel, make a couple of turns, and zap our tags on the sensor, get in our cars and come home, you still, still feel that sense of being trapped. And so to be imprisoned for an extended period of time is something that we struggle to even wrap our minds around, even if we're familiar with how incarceration works. I've talked with some guys at the prison who are lifers, and in the course of the conversation, they will tell us how long they've been in. And it's been for nearly as long as I've been alive, and I ain't young. They don't call it doing hard time for nothing. It's slow, it's difficult, and it can very easily break you. And another part about this imprisonment of Joseph that I want us to consider is what it must have been like. There's a lot of talk in our day about prison conditions, rightfully so. We don't want to have cruel and unusual punishment. But if you've ever been on the inside, you would probably say the conditions are the best, are not the best, but they are acceptable in our modern era. They're pretty good. I mean, I've even eaten the food on multiple occasions. And while it makes for good stories about how awful it was, it, it is terrible, it still provides nourishment. You could get by on it. I'm guessing what Joseph had to deal with in prison in this time wasn't exactly anything like our current modern amenities, our current modern treatment, our current ideas of cleanliness. So not only is Joseph in there for a long time, this is truly hard time. Imagine what this must have been like. And we get a little bit of an understanding of what his time looked like through this story. I'm sure many people came and went in the time that Joseph was in the Huskow. But Moses zooms in for us on one instance and we see that two people have committed an offense against Pharaoh, and so they are sent, this cupbearer and this baker, to be in the prison with him. They're in custody, awaiting their sentences. Essentially, they're there in a holding pattern. Now imagine 
for a second what this must have been like. You have, you have no idea how this guy, this, this Pharaoh, is going to rule in judgment against you. You probably have also seen other people from Pharaoh's court upset him, and their lives did not probably end too well. Imagine the anxiety that these two would have had going to this prison and ending up there. This would be a time for them riddled with anxiety, riddled with uncertainty. And so Joseph is put in charge of these two fellows, and Moses once again makes sure that we understand the passing of time, because he lets us know that they continued for some time in custody in this prison. And not only are we feeling the passing of time for Joseph with this statement in verse 4, but the time that's passing for these men that are awaiting their fate to be determined by Pharaoh. The feeling that we get here in the text is is one of anxiety and uncertainty. And so as we move on to verses 5 through 8, we see it continue here in the text. Now we don't have an idea of how long the cupbearer and the baker are awaiting their fates at the hand of Pharaoh, but we do know that it is a significant amount of time. And so when we hear that they were having dreams and they are concerned about them, we shouldn't be all that surprised. You know how you can have strange dreams when something in your life is uncertain. And then we find that these guys both have dreams on the same night. Now, this might seem like a big deal, not seem like a big deal to us, but in this time, there was a great significance that was placed upon dreams and their meanings. And we can understand that because I think we wake up sometimes and we wonder what in the world a strange dream was about. We do that. Now imagine if your culture appropriates a lot of meaning from dreams. You're going to ask more than the question, what in the world did I eat last night, right? When you have a strange dream in their culture, you're going to be wondering what's going on. And then again, remember the anxiety and uncertainty in these men's lives. They're looking for a sign. They want this to mean something. They want an answer. There's something else significant in the text here that we see after Joseph asks them why they're so downcast. They tell Joseph that they have had these dreams and there's no one to interpret them. In their Egyptian culture, dream interpretation was a very big deal. And they were seen as a means by which they could know the future. And having been a part of the royal court, they would have known that Pharaoh employed someone who interpreted his dreams. Perhaps as people who worked in the royal court, maybe they even had access to these kinds of services. Regardless, they feel helpless on their own. And once again, knowing their circumstances of awaiting their fates, you can imagine that this would probably increase their anxiety all the more. So Joseph's answer here is is interesting. It shows a trust in the sovereignty of God in saying that all interpretations belong to God. And again, I want to draw us back to the dreams that Joseph has had about his ruling over his brothers and his parents. The text gives us the idea that even in the middle of all this affliction, perhaps Joseph trusts that those dreams that he had are still going to come to pass. His dreams were super easy to interpret, and if all interpretations belonged to God, then he would likely have trusted that they were going to come to pass, that he was going to someday have his brothers bow down to him and have his mother and father bow down to him. In addition here, we get the idea that he has not lost his trust in God. Even in the midst of this imprisonment, he speaks freely of God as though the prisoners would understand that God is at work through him. 
And he lets them know that their pagan assumptions about dreams are off. And the sovereign Lord of creation is alone the one who can help them understand their dreams. And so the cupbearer is the first one to drop his dream on Joseph to have interpreted. We see this in verses 9 through 15. And we see that it's pretty straightforward. He's the cupbearer, and so his dream is about vines and putting something into Pharaoh's cup. And while it's pretty straightforward, Joseph provides some clarity about the details of the dream, telling him that even though he's been in custody for quite a while, the result of his dream is coming soon. It's it's just three days away. And it's good news for the cupbearer, and Joseph makes a statement, hoping to have the good fortune of the cupbearer be an avenue for his release. And notice what Joseph says here. There's There's a bit of a double meaning, right? I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. He did nothing to warrant the treatment of his brothers, and what did they do? They put him into a pit. He also did nothing wrong in the incident with Potiphar's wife, and now he is in the pit with his imprisonment. Joseph is hoping that this person who will have access to Pharaoh will get him justice. But that's only half of the story about these dreams. There were two men with dreams, and two men who had anxiety about their interpretation. So we see in verses 16 through 19, the dream of the baker. And we can see here that the interpretation of the first dream eases the baker's anxiety. But we also see in the interpretation that Joseph gives that this is false hope for the baker. Joseph tells him that his dream means that he's going to be executed in just three days. Now imagine how that must have felt. I mean, the other guy is going to be restored, but you are going to have your flesh eaten by birds. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing tensions were high the next three days for both men as, as one wishes that his dream is going to come to pass and the other one is hoping that it doesn't come true. Before we move on, it's important that we address how God is working here. God is sovereignly giving dreams to unbelievers and those outside the covenant to shape history and to rescue his people. And what we see from this is that God is the one who is in control of Joseph's fate. It isn't his brothers who threw him in the pit. It isn't Potiphar's wife who schemed against him and got him thrown into prison. It isn't the master of the prison. It isn't even Joseph himself who is in charge of his fate. God is in control And he is working all of this together for the good of his people. And that is an important, overarching theme that we see in all of this as we move into the final four verses of our passage for today and see our final point, that God's hand is upon Joseph because his interpretations of the dream are accurate. And what we find here is that the time period of three days was significant because it's Pharaoh's birthday. Now, I don't know if this was some sort of tradition to take care of sentences for prisoners on his big day, or if maybe he just wanted libations and so he needed a cupbearer, but the chief cupbearer is restored to his position. We don't know why he was feeling benevolent to the one and had wrath towards the other, but that is most certainly the case. Now, I struggle, as you probably do as well, to imagine how all this plays out. It's your birthday. I'm guessing you have a big party and you decide to issue sentences. I get setting the guy free to bring you your beverage, 
but did the baker stink at making birthday cakes or something? I mean, what's going on? How do you let your cupbearer out of prison on your birthday and then sentence the baker to be executed on the same day? We don't live in that world, and frankly, I'm pretty happy about that, right? This sounds like a brutal reality. To let somebody go and to execute somebody on the same day, yeah, interesting. But what we are to feel out of the story is not about what Pharaoh is doing, but what God is doing. Joseph is set up for us as one who is a prophet, one who is a servant of God. And we've gotten this feeling throughout the story of Joseph because we're told that God is with him. But this story gives us a significant confirmation. The predictions that Joseph gives happen. And so the view that we feel about Joseph continues to escalate, continues to be built up. We started out maybe lacking in affection for Joseph because he was the snotty little brother who was daddy's favorite. But as the story has continued, we're feeling compassion for him as nothing seems to go right for him. And even though we have been told that God's hand is upon him because he continues to climb into positions of influence wherever he goes, this passage shows us and confirms something for us. Joseph is a prophet. He's able to tell people their dreams and they actually come to pass. And yet the final verse here brings us back to reality very quickly. If we didn't know the story and we're coming to it for the first time, we would be a bit shocked and perplexed by the fact that this cupbearer forgets about Joseph. Once again, we have a clear sign that God is at work, but it isn't the quick fix. God is at work, but it isn't the easy path. But just as we see in the rest of Genesis, as we see in the rest of Scripture as a whole, the path that God uses to bring salvation is not easy. And it happens in God's timing, not human timing. And this is true from the story of the patriarchs in Genesis and the last-minute rescue on the shores of the Red Sea. It is true when we read of Gideon and his band of men smashing jars. And it's true as the young David stands over Goliath after cutting off his head. And it's most assuredly true in the story of God the Son bearing the wrath of God for our sin at the cross. And we think things are over. But yet he's resurrected on the third day. And he stands in victory over sin, death, hell, and the devil because he has rescued the people of God. And so we have to be patient. We have to wait on the Lord in the story of Joseph because God will do his good will in his timing, not in the timing of man. And so we come to the end of the passage and we take a moment to consider the application for us as we go out into the world in the coming week. And I want us to dwell on one point that continues to come out of the text in Genesis here as we go through the story of Joseph. And that is to wait on the Lord. It's easy for us to be like the baker and like the cupbearer and be filled with anxiety and concerns over what is taking place in our lives. This can be something we're expecting at a personal level in the circumstances we are facing in our vocations, our families, or, 
or with our health. It could be anxiety from what we see in the times that we are presently living in and the awareness of things going on in the world because we live in a 24-hour news cycle and there's a perpetual stream of information available to us, whether on the news or via social media. All of this can cause anxiety. All of this can cause us to wonder what's going on. Regardless of what we are experiencing, we can have a sure trust that God is in control and that He is working things together for good for those that He loves. We can imagine the anxiety that the cupbearer and the baker were experiencing, but imagine the hope and the trust that Joseph needed to have in the sovereign hand of God. His dreams caused him to expect assent, but all that had happened to him was continual descent, and he ended up in the pit. But we can clearly see that God's hand was upon Joseph, and we can have the exact same faith and trust that Joseph had. And we know this because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit to comfort us. He has given us the gift of faith, and so we know that God is at work for us, for our good and for His glory. Now, we don't know what that is going to look like all the time. And just like in the life of Joseph, it might be thorny. It might be difficult. But you and I can know that God is working for us just as surely as He was working in the life of Joseph. Because we have faith in the one who was raised from the pit. We have faith in Jesus. We can trust that he has the best for us, that he will work all things together for good for us. And so may we trust God's sovereign hand. May we wait on the Lord, knowing that because he has saved us, we will be lifted up. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website, edgertonfrc.org, or our Facebook page.